Well, I am grateful to be with you this morning. I feel like it's been a big morning already, right, with um, some stuff that we've been able to do to honor other people, um, just because of the way that the Lord has taught us to love each other. We, we are taking a little break from our James series. Um, after Christmas, we'll go ahead and get back into that series, but I'm grateful to be here with you this morning to at least continue the conversation about God's faithfulness. What a great subject matter um, that is, and I'm grateful to be able to talk about that with you this morning. I wanted to share a little note with you. Uh, if, if you may remember or may not, we are sort of partnering with the Penfield Wesleyan Church right now as they go through a leadership change. So their leadership teams have been here, and we have been there as we're helping them get their uh, feet on the ground and get started again. And I just wanted to let you know that that is where Pastor Craig is this weekend. He is um, visiting Penfield Wesleyan Church, sharing God's word with them this weekend. So you'll have to ask him when you see him back on campus next weekend how that went. Uh, I, I am so grateful that as I think about this community, the the people that God has uh, infused with his power right here at Crosswinds, we're not only using that in our community, right? I mean, we see it in the boxes as we get to send them off um, to locations all around the world. We even see it more locally as we have uh, different um, pastors speak at Penfield, different of our leaders, of some of you who have been at Penfield as well. So thank you for that. It's a great to watch God work in and amongst um, this community. Now again, last week Craig um, concluded this part of our series on James, and this morning we're going to look at the book of 1 Thessalonians. When we think about God's faithfulness and what um, Paul had to teach this community of believers. So our first um, verse that we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And I want to share with you first that this is a letter of affirmation. Um, much of it is a letter. There's more in there, certainly. But it's a letter of affirmation to be able to tell the people, this is what we're doing. You know, this is what you're doing for God. And I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful. What a great letter that we get to read and we get to understand as well. So before we look at that first verse, would you pray with me? We want to lift this up to you, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much uh, that you do that for us. You affirm us. You guide us and direct us with your spirit, as Dave spoke of earlier, even in worship, Lord. Um, you take that, what you have given to us, and you, um, you grow it, Lord. You take it to different places that we couldn't even imagine, and we thank you so much for that. So as we open your word this morning, we just begin to look at your word. I pray that as you know each one of us individually, that you would guide our hearts in the way that you um, direct us to be and the things that you want us to understand so that we can take our next step of faith with you. Thank you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, and this is what it says. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. I love that part. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You know, as I thought of this passage and prepared for this, I was remembering with gratitude the words of encouragement that I had received over the years, right? We have these milestones in life. Even when I graduated high school those many years ago, when I graduated college, when I began to, when I got married, when I had children, and just other milestones in my life. I got words of encouragement 
words of support, congratulations for whatever that next step of my journey would be. And I was similarly encouraged the evening I was ordained. But there was a difference in that. That evening, the words of encouragement, both from many in our congregation and uh, the Wesleyan Church, uh, those within ministry in our district, those words were of reassurance to remind me I was not alone. Pistos kele osu, faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he who calls you. What a great reassurance and reminder to me. And that's what Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is about, encouragement. And this particular verse, he offers the greatest encouragement, doesn't he? The greatest. He's reminding his readers of the faithfulness of God. It wasn't about what they could do. It's about the faithfulness of God. The Thessalonian church was enduring its own persecution. They weren't outside the walls of that. But Paul had heard good words about the people who were standing strong, even in the midst of the persecution that they had to endure. And so he wanted to encourage them, remain strong, remain strong. There is more to come. He wanted to encourage them to continue on that faith journey and to be who God had called them to be. He had called them to be a church that was infused with his spirit, that he would guide and direct and move forward. Because we know, even as we sit here this morning, the church, right? Because that's what the church is. It's the believers who come together. As we sit here this morning, we realize that we are not held together by the will and the might of ourselves, of the people in the building. We are held together by the sheer faithfulness of our God to fulfill his promises because he will do it. So the people within, you and I, are cared for, we're empowered, we're strengthened by God's power through God's spirit as he guides us to fulfill his will and his plan because he will do it. But if I want to play a part in that, I have to be willing to participate. And that's kind of the direction we're going to head this morning. Because even as Paul wrote these words, he shared that there was two pieces to this plan. There was God's part, and there was our part. Let me clarify, our part could not be done without God's spirit. But there were two pieces to that plan. So we've already looked at God's part in verses 23 and 24. He sanctifies, he redeems, he calls us, and then he is faithful to do it. So listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, about our part. He says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to take a look at each of those three areas, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by by the hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So work produced by faith. Now, if you were here last weekend, you know that we just journeyed through that part of the book of James. Even last week, um, we looked specifically at the idea of works. Pastor Craig shared how James James tells us that good works will follow faith. 
They're a part of the believer's walk. They are a sign of maturing faith, these works. And they're a sign of our love and our trust in our God who takes hold and forms our life, right? It's, we're not passive in that. He takes form and he, whole, he forms our life as we begin to move forward. I want to ask you to look also at Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in faith, we walk forward step by step, and we're encouraged and we're affirmed. We're affirmed in our walk by each new experience that we encounter, each new opportunity that we have brings about change and transformation in our own life, each opportunity that we invest in, that we participate in, gives us the opportunity to rest in, to learn from, and to reflect on the nature of our creator. Maybe even to begin to reflect that to those within our circle of influence. But if I look at that, I have to admit that I have stumbled from time to time. Now, it's not my faith in God that I stumble on, right? That's not in question, but sometimes I need to build up my own trust, my own trust. So let's look at the idea of faith versus trust when we consider that. I would describe my faith as growing all the time, as lasting, and truly, I trust that God will do and accomplish what he says he will do and accomplish. I believe and I trust In his word, that's not my concern. The problem is I don't always trust myself. I don't always trust me. And I'm reminded of the story of Peter walking out on that water to meet Jesus, right? Many of you may be familiar with that story. If not, you'll find it in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 14. Circumstances had led the disciples to be out on the water on their own, in the midst of this crazy wind. And of course, with crazy wind that evening brought these big, um, difficult waves that they had to maneuver. Well, Jesus is a little late to the scene, having stayed back on his own to pray. So he walks out to meet them. Now think about that. They're in the midst of this lake, so he's got to walk on top of the water, right, to meet them. It's dark. It's cold damp, obviously. The wind is howling. And what happens next? The disciples look out and they see this man walking toward them, ghost-like, if you will. Would you be scared? I would be scared. Well, it says that they were scared, right? In the midst of the waves, this ghost-like figure is walking out to them. So their first reaction is fear. Something supernatural is taking place right in their midst. And they're caught off guard and they're struggling to comprehend what is actually happening here. What is going on? Am I dreaming? Until Jesus reveals himself and tells them, don't be afraid. So Peter, of course it's Peter. And if you have read any of the New Testament, um, Peter never passes up an opportunity to share his thoughts boldly. So he's the one to say, if it's you, 
command me to come out on the water to meet you, to Jesus. If it's you, command me to come out on the water to meet you. I wonder if I would have been that brave. I can tell you right now I would not have, right? I would not probably not have. So what does Jesus do? He simply says, come, come. No big explanation of how it's done. Step out of the boat, put your foot here. This is how it works, right? No warning to be careful. No rolling of the eyes. I might have done that as well, right? Just come. So Peter starts out. And again, many of you know the story. He takes those first few tentative steps, and what's he doing? He's walking on water. He takes those first few steps, and then he sees the waves, and he doubts. And that's when he begins to sink. But Jesus pulls him up, right? He doesn't let him sink. Jesus pulls him up. That's important too. But then he says to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Again, considering faith versus trust. Now, we know that Peter doubted because God's word tells us he doubted. But as I read it again and again and again, I don't think he doubted Jesus. Otherwise, he would have never walked out of the boat, would he? It's not that he doubted Jesus' power. I wonder if he doubted himself. So in the midst of these ways, in the midst of this supernatural event that was taking place, I have to wonder if Peter doubted, could he really do it? And here's the part that I find even a little sadder. If, if, if he doubted he could do it, why? Because he was already doing it. He was already in the midst of a miracle, and that's when the doubt set in. That's when the waves began to overtake him. Have you ever felt that? Been in the midst of something you felt God called you to, and you started to doubt and step back. Now, Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, too. And he was speaking to the Galatians, I know, but I wonder if he was remembering this story of Peter, the story of Peter sinking when he said in Galatians 3.3, he said, are you so foolish? After being being with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Maybe that's where I go when I begin to doubt. Maybe that's where you go when you begin to doubt. It's definitely a story I can relate to. Peter was a, a part of a miracle with Jesus. But Peter was no different than you or than myself. When we look at the waves in our life, we can also doubt. The author Marshawn Evans Daniels says, it's when we put our trust not in Jesus, but in our circumstances that we will sink every single time. We must put our trust in our Savior. The waves of doubt are disruptive and they can take us off course. Because it is impossible for Jesus to walk on water, but he did it. It is impossible for Peter to walk on water, but he did it. And sometimes those works that God calls us to accomplish are impossible, but we can. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is as his spirit lives within us. And you know, I think Peter would be quick to tell us If you want to see a miracle, you have to take a risk so the miracle can happen. Are we ready to take a risk? Faith versus trust. It's important to have both because we can't achieve what we don't believe. We cannot achieve what we don't believe. So recognize the difference in those and allow that your faith to carry your doubt, right? 
until it's transformed into trust, moving you forward. God cannot bless the actions that we never take. So what is he calling you to do? What's the risk that he's calling you to take? Now, the second part of that verse that we looked at in 1 Thessalonians says, um, your labor prompted by love. Labor prompted by love. I'm going to ask you to consider this quote. Solid is the church. And again, remember the church being God's people. Solid is the church who who discovers the true love of God, both given and received. Solid is that church. So listen as Paul encourages the Thessalonian readers. This is um, in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. They're they're giving love, so they're receiving that love back and forth, right? Um, You've been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. They're giving it away. They have received it from one another and from the Lord, certainly, and now they're giving it away outside of their community. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do brothers and sisters to do so more and more. Don't just stop what you're doing. Continue, do it more and more. And if you read that verse, it goes on to explain what, what he means by this love. And I found this so interesting because he says it's to live quietly. It's to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands so you may walk properly and be dependent on no one. That J.B. Phillips' translation says, the result will be a reputation for honesty in a world outside, in the world outside, and an honorable independence. It's about trust. It's about reflecting the love that the Lord has given to you, and you trust, and so now you can love others well, right? The verse encourages us to forego all of that striving, all that striving that we can get in the middle of for more and more and more and more, and I need to do this and I need to accomplish that because it never leaves us content, never. Instead, we need to find peace exactly where we are because if we can do that, if we can find peace where we are, then it gives us the freedom to love others without restrictions. If I can be peaceful where I am, I'm not concerned about all that striving, I can love others well and with um, authenticity. Because we limit our ability to love well when our focus on our own ambitions blinds us to the needs of others. And doesn't it do that when I'm thinking about myself, what I need, what I need to accomplish? I am blinded to what others need. And that easily leads us to what we would call, if you're familiar with Celebrate Recovery, is hang-ups. We talk about hurts, habits, and hang-ups in Celebrate Recovery. These hang-ups are things like anger. Because I can easily get angry at others if they don't live up to my expectations. The hang-up of resentment, it can lead me to resent someone else's success if I've got my own ambitions in mind. Do I resent somebody else and their successes? It can lead me to the hang-up of worry. And eventually we are deep in worry because I can't possibly keep up with all of those ambitions that I think I need to do because they were my plan, not God's plan for my life. And I'll tell you, we get to a point where we don't even begin to see these traits in ourselves as they start to take root. But eventually those hang-ups... Those hang-ups, they bubble over and they begin to have a negative effect on many areas of our life. We don't even know it's happening, but they start to have an effect on all the different people that we interact with. 
Now, I first attended Celebrate Recovery about 17 years ago. And I attended to help somebody else, right? Isn't that why many people go? Because it's, I got to help them um, work on what they're dealing with. But the Lord was quick to help me recognize my own struggles. I was holding too tightly like a closed fist, if you will, to the security that I thought I needed to control. All these things, my ambitions, all the things I needed to do were right here. And I needed to control them. But all they did for me is limit my ability to open up and grab hold of what God wanted to give to me. If I'm holding on to my own plans and my own ambitions, I am not free to grab what it is that God would have for me. So there's a story I want to share with you. A boy walking along the beach with his father. Well, his dream was to find a starfish. I have dreams when I walk along the beach. Mine was to find a sand dollar, a whole sand dollar, right? Well, his dream was to find a starfish. So many times he runs out into the water about knee deep and he reaches down. And when he lifts his hands up, they're full of sand and beautiful, colorful shells as he's searching for a starfish. Eventually, he can go um, no longer because he can't fit any of the shells into his tiny little hands. And so he's just walking along with his hands full of these shells. And then he sees it. The waves go back and he sees the starfish. Maybe it's just one piece of the starfish starfish, um, sticking up out of the sand. And so he runs to the surf and he plunges with his hands down under the water. But when he arrives back at his dead, he doesn't bring the starfish with him because his hands were closed. He couldn't get the starfish and he wasn't willing to let go of what he had. His dad encourages him, go back, try again. That starfish is still there. Try again to get that starfish. But again, he returns without the starfish. But his dad finally sees the problem, finally understands what's going on. So son, he says, you must let go of the beautiful shells that you have in your hand so that you have room to hold the starfish so that you have room to take hold of that dream that you had. I think likewise for me, it seemed impossible to let go of these things that I held because my future was at stake, right? These things that I held so dear to me, I had to take control. But that's why God is God and I am not, right? He is faithful and he will do it. And he did. He helped me open my hand and begin to let go of those things that I thought I needed. Those things that brought me, those hang-ups that took me to celebrate, recover, the anger and the resentments and the worry. And I got to tell you, until I let go of those things, the people I love would only experience a filtered and a limited view of me as a wife, of me as a mom, of me as a friend, of me as the person that God created to be because I held too tightly to something that was not to be, something that brought me pain and the rest of my family struggle as well. Some will say that God's plan contains us or his word contains us, but I don't agree at all. I believe it frees us. It frees us to go where he has called us. So hold your plans with an open hand considering those around you. Allow God to move in you and through you to love those around you well. The third action in the verse that we're looking at is endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I think it's about being rather than doing. Being rather than doing. And I I pulled two verses here because I think they say a lot about dependence on self or dependence on God. Dependence on a closed fist or an open hand. Listen to this about the doing. Ecclesiastes 2.11. The author says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If we're just focused on the doing. But the being, I find this in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Trusting in me, my hands, or opening my hands and allowing God to do the work, being with him. Because one verse talks of a meaningless life that's filled with striving, never finding but always seeking like the hamster right, on the hamster wheel. And the other, Isaiah, talks of a perfect peace of the mind that is completely focused on God, of being with God. So as I was was thinking about this, I was thinking the holidays are upon us, right? Thanksgiving is coming up in two weeks, and then Christmas is quick to follow. And I don't know about you, but I want to enter into and enjoy this season. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I have a lot to celebrate during this season. A lot. I do not want to be focused and be in the mode of doing. I would rather be in the mode of being because I need to be with God. I know that whatever I do, whoever I encounter, my interactions flow out of my being or my not being with my Savior. And let's be honest again, I can fluctuate. My balance is not always where It should be in that. So I'm going to pause for just a second, and I'm going to ask you to think about something. I'm going to ask you to think about an investment that maybe you made. Maybe it was buying your very first car. And if you have not yet purchased your first car, think of the money that you're trying to save in order to make that investment. And after after signing on that dotted line, you invest hours and hours of your time working to pay for that vehicle. You clean it. Hopefully you get the oil changed. You notice the warning lights, right? You pay attention to what's happening with that car. You need that car, and you made a big investment. So you care about what you paid for. Sometimes I think we forget the investment that God made for us. It was more than we could afford, so he paid the price for our life, for our future. He has freely given it, We need to simply freely receive it, right? This gift, this gift, this life, and this freedom that we have in and only because of our Savior. So how much time am I willing to give to the investment that God made for me? Here's the part that doesn't even make sense to me. Each time I take a moment and I invest in what God has done for me, my side of the investment grows, my side of that investment becomes more precious. It never depreciates. It never becomes irrelevant. God's word is never irrelevant. It is new with every moment that I spend with it. And every moment that I spend being with God is transformational. And it changes me. My endurance and my hope are directly related 
to my being with God because I cannot give what I do not possess. Cannot give what I don't possess. So God is more concerned with my being than with my doing because if I am focused on being, then God will provide all that I need for the doing, right? Not that we shouldn't do, but our first priority must be to be with God. There's a story in the Old Testament that I reread recently that helped me bring this to life. And you'll find it in Exodus chapter 31. The Israelites had been rescued from slavery, 400 years of slavery, by the way. They're traveling through the desert toward their new homeland. The Lord is guiding them. And I imagine seeing what he does, right? By cloud uh, and during the day and by fire at night, the Lord is with them and his presence is, is seen and felt and experienced without question. I think of the words majestic and formidable all at the same time, right? So it was time to build God's tabernacle, a place that would travel with the Israelites as they moved on. But it wasn't because God needed a tent, right? It was not because of that, but rather so the people could witness and experience God's presence with them. He was their God. He was a God that they were just beginning to truly understand. It was new to men. It had been 400 years of slavery. This God was one who was different than all the other gods they had heard about, or maybe even themselves had worshipped. This God was one who desired to be with them. No other God was doing that. These false gods, their God desired to be with them, even in a tent in the wilderness. This was a God who had agreed to leave his home in heaven and to live among his children in the life of Jesus. So this tabernacle would need to be built according to specific instructions. Have you read Exodus? Okay, it's specific instructions that reflected a reverence for God, that reflected his glory, that reflected his authority. So now God could have spoken this tabernacle into existence. After all, he spoke the world into existence, right? But he didn't. He provided the wisdom He provided the ability and he provided the desire for the people that he chose, God's people, to build God's tabernacle. We read the story of um, how he did that, infusing his spirit in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 6. Now, there's a few names in here, so bear with me. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving woods for the work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Who gave them the power? Who gave them the wisdom? It was the Lord. Who gives us the wisdom and the guidance? It is still our Lord. Ordinary men and women were given extraordinary abilities inspired by God to follow his instruction to the letter. 
They were given his gift of creativity, his gift of leadership, and his passion to build his tabernacle. When you read this full account, it's astonishing. Um, I can only begin to imagine the colors, the purples, the golds, the silver, the bronze, the way that this was um, built up and the beauty of it all in the midst of the desert. Because our God is a God of order and of beauty, of creativity. God didn't stop resourcing his people 2,000 years ago. He still has a plan. And he will resource you and he will resource me within that plan. A plan that includes us. The Thessalonians understand it and experienced it. Those who built the tabernacle understood it and they experienced it. So we must ask the question, are we willing? Because we can be a part of something that is so much bigger than we know if we keep our hands closed. So again, I'm reminded of that verse where we started. Pistos kaleosu, faithful is he who calls you. Let's end our time back in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remember, Paul is encouraged himself by the Thessalonians. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. May we choose many years later to be encouraged by Paul's letter, encouraged to trust and move forward in faith into the places that God has called us. Don't let the waves of doubt overcome the destiny that's before you. Encouraged to love well, unhindered by our own hangups that block who we could really be. Open your hands to his plan and purpose for your life. And we are encouraged to remain steadfast for our endurance can remain strong because if we prioritize being with God, then he will do what is needed. May we recognize his investment in each and every one of us because who knows, maybe he will call you to do something bigger than you could even know. But first you have to know him. And so if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're sitting here or watching us online, I encourage you to step out and take a chance. Peter stepped out of the boat and took a chance. Doubt came in, but the Lord lifted him, didn't he? Step out, step out and take a chance. See what the Lord will do in your life. And we just want to walk alongside you as you do that. Would you join me in prayer as we close this morning? Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have accomplished. When I look back at your word, Old Testament, New Testament, when I bow to you in prayer, when I consider the people that you have placed around me to encourage me, to support me, to give me reassurance, Lord, that where you have called is where you will take me because you will do it, Lord. Not that I doubt you, but Lord, sometimes I doubt me. So Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit, not only for my life, Lord, but for those of those sitting here, those who are watching online, those who will watch someday in the future. We need you, Lord, and your spirit. May we keep our hands open so that, Lord, we can receive your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, and then we can begin to share that with those around us. 
Thank you, Lord. We lift this all up to you, Lord, for your glory, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.